everybody, and welcome to a Champions League-centric episode of the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. Daryl Grove is not with me today. Instead, I'm joined by an Englishman of a different sort. It's Mr. Sam Tai of the BR Football Ranks podcast. Uh, we met Sam when we were in Germany. He was lovely. He was wonderful. He was tall, as he mentions in today's show. Uh, we got along very well. We were very impressed by everything he had to offer. I was sitting next to him. That sounds cynical, but what I mean to say is like, I was sitting next to him when... We were at the Frankfurt Bayern Munich game. I asked him if there was anybody he was excited about from the Frankfurt team. He went through just sort of looking at the roster. and was like, oh, this guy, he played there. Yeah, he was really good here. Oh, he combined well with this guy. Oh, he was coached by this. Like, he knew everything about every player. So we were really excited to have him on to talk about all things Champions League, the teams that have advanced, the teams that didn't advance, and sort of the surprises along the way. Uh, we go through every single group, discuss the top teams, discuss what comes next, discuss lots of other stuff as well. Uh, really great to have Sam on. We look forward to having him on again as we get closer to the knockout round. But for now, here is my conversation with Mr. Sam Tai of the BR Football Ranks podcast. With me on the line, I've got Sam Tai of the BR Football Ranks podcast, the uh, potentially award-winning Football Ranks podcast is how I should phrase that, I guess. Sam, thank you very much for taking the time. Oh, thank you, buddy. Yeah, award-nominated. I don't think <laughs> we're going to win it, mate. The same, the same podcast has, has won it five years in a row, I think. Is that um, football weekly the, or football ramble yeah, or the, so the football weekly, the okay. boring, the boring one that everyone votes for all the time, just because they don't like trying new things. Um, <laughs> I honestly, the fact that we've only been given two tickets to the ceremony and we're, and we're declined a third. I think the writing is very much on the wall, my friend. Um, <laughs> you were declined a third. Yeah. So there's three people on the podcast and not all of us are allowed to go. I lost the coin toss this week and I'm not going to the ceremony. Uh, Jack and Dean are my, my co-hosts instead. Uh, but anyway, on the on, on a brighter note, good to have you back in my life after our uh, jaunts to Germany. I've been missing you. Yes, sir. S- same to you, very much so. My, uh, you, you featured in a lot of my Instagram photos and stories, it turns out. My wife kept asking me, like, is that is that the same guy? And I was like, it is. We were, f- we were pals. Yeah, we just hung out a lot, man. <laughs> it, it, was, it was good times, and, and now we have you here. Um, I would say maybe in less like esteemed company than, than it seems like you're used to because obviously you're getting nominated for awards, but then you're also attending the Ballon d'Or Awards. Uh, I'm guessing you, I, I don't know if that came down to a coin flip, but I'm going to assume that you're pleased with that result given that you got to meet and talk to famous people and uh, get some insights. Yeah, those, those nights are always really strange. Uh, you, you, you generally, as long as you get what you want or get something good out of it, you come out of it feeling like a million dollars um because and you, you come off with a real buzz because of what you've just done but like the actual mechanics of the evening and the actual slog of it they could be pretty depressing and pretty hard and um because you basically spend four hours stood in a room waiting and essentially hoping right because um i met the ballon d'or ceremony but i'm behind the back wall so what you can see mbappe there standing on the stage go behind that wall with x-ray glasses and i'm stood there looking like an idiot just waiting <laughs> for whoever will possibly come round now all the award winners and some of the runners up they they came round uh, through the mix zone and obviously then it's just an absolute scrum if you've uh, if you've not experienced one of those if you're not a journalist it's just people tripping over each other people stamping on each other people wrestling with each other trying to get to the front of the rope to try and make sure you can speak to someone um and i needed to speak to van dyke to make my night a success and i did which is great um i also spoke to well we spoke to alison becker um and we spoke to matisse de Ligt as well uh, you you should have oh my god when Messi walked through oh you should have seen it it was like a jungle um people you know running around the room trying to get near him and as he moved around the the corner past the rope 
It's just people falling over each other, people hurdling each other, cameras being knocked out of the way. I just took a selfie with him in the background and ran off giggling. Uh, I didn't even bother to try get. I mean, Messi doesn't speak to people in English anyway, so no. why why should I bother to try and get involved in that? But it was just, it was just like a like a stampede of people. Was uh, he? Is that the first incredible. time you've seen him in person? Like like aside uh, from playing? Uh, yeah, aside from actually playing a football game, this mm-hmm. is by far the closest I'd ever got to him. I, I would say I was three meters away. And and were uh, you surprised? I saw him in 2011 playing for Argentina against the U.S. And I was really surprised then by I've said it since then, like how much of a rectangle he basically is. That he's very wide and very short, but not wide in a fat way. Just sort of he's just you understand in that moment, like oh, that's why you can't knock him off the ball. Yeah, kinda. Although to be honest with you, my view from up here is slanted. So, but many of, of the, many of the people won't know I'm six foot four. Uh, and so everyone looks small to me. So uh, it does, it's not really a fair comparison. I couldn't possibly comment. I was going to ask you, though, with that height, because you do have the height advantage, is that your sort of strategy for getting your questions in the mix zone when you have that sort of press scrum? Can you reach over the top to put your mic yeah. in front and ask your question? Oh, yeah, it's massively helpful. Um, if, you're, if you're willing to use, you know, use your bulk and use your height and use your shoulder width, uh, then it, it could be it could be very, very useful. I basically got to the front and just blocked everybody out with my elbows, <laughs> shoved, shoved my microphone in, 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 in Van Dyke's face. To be fair, we've got a, you know, a BR Football logo on the microphone, and he, he knows us. Like He follows us, he recognizes us. Um, and so he, he walked towards me because he recognized the logo, so he knew that he was going to speak to someone he knew. And also, I'm basically as tall as him, so oh. he looked. He looked out and he just we met, we met eye to eye and he just walked over to me and I just asked all the questions. So you locked um, eyes with Virgil van Dijk across the room. He came over. You had your moment. Uh, was yeah. that as exciting as it sounds? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> it's not as exciting as I wanted it to be, I'm afraid. Uh, but for those of you that don't listen to the article ranks, we solved a mystery, uh, mm. which is, we, you know, you can't say that we don't ask the big questions. Don't even tell me that I'm not one of the greatest investigative journalists, journalists of all time, because earlier this year, uh, Troy Deeney said that Van Dyke is awful to play against because uh, he wears aftershave uh, during games. So not only is he bigger than you, stronger than you, and quicker than you, and better than you, he also smells great, and it's mm. infuriating. That's what Troy Deeney said. Now, over the course of the year on the podcast, we spoke to Divock Origi, we spoke to Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, we spoke to a couple of players that have played against him. We asked them all, does Van Dyke wear aftershave? And they all replied, I haven't noticed it. Hmm. So we thought, this is weird. And we, we, we vowed to get to the bottom of it. So in the mix zone at the Ballon d'Or, I asked Van Dyke three questions. Two were reasonable questions. And one was, do you wear aftershave during games? <laughs> And honestly, like I had the world's media left and right of me around my shoulders, all, all wanting to ask Van Dyke much more reasonable questions. And I used up the very precious three minutes that we had with one of those questions. And I think they were a bit like, you get. Did, but, did uh, you I, did you try to justify it at all, or were you just like straight into? Do you wear aftershave? I, I said Troy Deeney said you wear aftershave during games. I spoke to Oxo Chamberlain. He said you didn't. Can we please get to the bottom of this? And he just kind of looked at me and then just laughed and went, no, no, no. Uh, I think huh. he appreciated it, but um, I don't think the people around me, like the guys that had travelled from Senegal, um, there was a, <laughs> there was Mauritanian media there. There was like three guys from Egypt. They all come over from their respective countries, and they didn't get to ask the guy a single question because I was too busy serving my own purpose. I, I like but, to believe uh, that there was at least one person there who was going to ask that exact same question and was just quietly mumbling. Like it was probably like a five foot nine person who couldn't quite reach the way you could and was just mumbling <laughs> about it. Son of a. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well anyway look, we made it we vowed that if he came round and he answered the first two questions 
I'll ask him the third one. I was very nervous, but I got it done. It's it's a career highlight for me, for sure. I mean, as well it should be. Uh, I'm going to assume that uh, appearing on the Total Soccer Show is going to be your number two career highlight. And we have you here to discuss all things Champions League because the group stage is now wrapped up. We have not Mm -hmm. yet had the draw, obviously, but we're going to look at the groups. uh, Who advanced, who didn't? Sam's going to give all the knowledge. We're going to start with Group A, where PSG are on top with 16 points. Then it's Real Madrid, Club Bruges, and Galatasaray. Uh, I do love some Galatasaray. Not surprised they finished bottom here. Um, I would say there weren't really any big surprises in terms of Madrid and PSG going through, but is that the order? Uh, like, is that order at all surprising to you, or have PSG sort of been that good and Madrid been that relatively poor? It didn't surprise me. I did. Uh, I did pick each of these groups um, when the draw was made, and obviously a lot can change over the course of six games, and you can get a few things wrong. And uh, towards the towards the bottom end, of the groups we'll get to later did get a couple wrong, but I did have PSG winning this group. Um, it was much easier to believe in them at the time of the draw because Real Madrid was still in mini shambles. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have made great strides over the last month or month and a half. Uh, it's been good to see because a lot of their players are returning to the levels that they should be playing at. And uh, Zidane has taken a little bit of time to figure out how to how to reorganise this team to make it work. But he has done. Federico Valverde is the new midfield saviour. Um, and they are starting to purr. And it's nice to see. And we saw Vinicius Jr. and Rodrigo combining on match day six, which is a, a little glimpse at the future of their wing situation, which is always nice to see as well. But yeah, I felt like PSG had had the edge on Real Madrid in a kind of head-to-head. Um, not, not solely, but largely due to the fact that they, are, they can be such a wrecking ball in attack with the amount of speed they have and how calamitous at the time Real Madrid were defensively. Mm. I just thought... PSG are going to go to come out of these two games against Real Madrid with more points than Real Madrid are. So I'm going to put them top. Um, and Real Madrid, obviously, a clear second. Bruges were damaged by the, the, a bit of a summer exodus because they did qu- quite well last year in the Champions League. Well, they surprised a few people. And quite a lot of the Premier League clubs started looking at their players because it's cheap enough to buy from Belgium. But they've also you can also say, well, this player has six Champions League performances to his name. So I'm not just gambling on a player finding form from Belgium. So the likes of Wesley, their striker, uh, Dan Juma, one of the wingers, uh, Marvellous Nakamba as well, the holding midfielder, they all went to the Premier League. So they kind of had their spine ripped out. So it was not a surprise to see that they can't they can't compete with PSG and Real Madrid. That's, you know, you, you can't expect too much of them. Galatasaray, I don't know what to say about them anymore. Um, I, I, I really don't. They seem to be, it's a team made up of low knees and, and very random mm. players that don't seem to have homes. And... Um, I'm not surprised it didn't really translate into cohesive performances against some of the best in Europe. So would you expect PSG to uh, have a better campaign overall, or are you expecting more sort of the same from them of look good in the group stage, dominate Ligue 1, and then get knocked out in the first round or the second round? Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, I'm almost tempted to say until I'm proven wrong. Like, they, they, it's, like it's on them to prove me wrong. Like, as in, yeah. um, they've done this so many times now that it's really, I'm really reluctant to be like, this is the year, because every year they screw it up. Um, but saying that, this year... <laughs> the t- <laughs> See what I've done to myself? Jesus. Um, the team is built differently. Um, it's, it's built differently. It's built from the middle out, and I think they've recruited the necessary pieces to balance the team properly so that they're not so top-heavy. And... I think the key difference here is that I think Thomas Tuchel is a fantastic coach. 
um, and the coaches they've had in the past that have been unable to produce a team performance and gel a team together that would befit the names on the team sheet. I, I think Tuchel's a different breed. And I would I would say that this is their by far their best chance. Um, it, 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 the thing is with PSG is obviously they do collapse a little bit sometimes in the knockout stages. Sometimes they're fault, sometimes not. I felt very sorry for them last year with the Manchester United handball debacle in the last minute. Um, and sometimes they just get really rough draws. Like, I seem to remember a lot of games where they've just played Barcelona. Mm-hmm. And this was during Barcelona's peak years or, or, or peak half of the decade. So uh, half of it, again, is about who they get because there are some pretty rough second-place draws. Like Borussia Dortmund finished second. Atletico Madrid finished mm-hmm. second. These are tight calls. But as long as they don't get completely done over, I think there is a platform for them to go on and, and actually make some hay. And it's long overdue, isn't it? Because then people like us can stop saying, well, you know, they always do this and then they look really bad in February. But, see, you've already moved. You've already moved ahead of me. You're already predicting better things for them. We'll see what happens there. I did want to ask one more question about PSG. Where are you on Neymar with with PSG? Does he make them better? Is he a player that they're going to be looking to in this Champions League campaign and for the remainder of the season, or is he still sort of a distraction, not quite helping them kind of achieve that top form? Um, I think it, it undoubtedly makes them better uh, on paper for sure, and. As I say, I think this year is slightly different for PSG. We haven't seen that much of him in the Champions League or Ligue 1, to be fair, because of the injuries that he sustains. Um, but I think they're a much better balanced team this year, and that will naturally lead to better performances from everybody, including the attacking line. I don't think he's as much of a distraction. I think he's actually on the verge of realising, I'm actually just going to have to take this quite seriously now. And... Uh, He's still he's still trying to play his way to Barcelona or Real Madrid next summer, so let's not forget that as well. Um, but uh, he does he does need to step it up a little bit in the in the big games come February, and I think the same argument applies to Kylian Mbappe as well. Um, last last season when they when they got knocked out by Manchester United, I don't think Mbappe played well enough. I really I really don't. And it, there's been a couple of occasions for PSG that that hasn't quite happened for him. And he himself has admitted, I've got to do better. So Neymar does as well. But Mbappe does too. It's not, it's not quite all on Neymar here. Much, much more still to come from my conversation with Mr. Sam Tai of the BR Football Ranks podcast. But first, I wanted to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Roughneck Scarves. Uh, Sam and I are going to be talking Americans who are coaching and or playing or were playing in the Champions League. Which is perhaps a good way of remembering that Roughneck Scarves are the official scarf providers for U.S. soccer, for Major League Soccer, for the USL, and for the NCAA. So you could go in there right now and look for uh, scarves for the U.S. Women's National Team as they're in their uh, identification camp right now. You could support them that way. You could look for some men's national team scarves if you're feeling slightly more optimistic or you want to feel more optimistic about the state of the national team as we enter 2020. Maybe you could do that by getting a scarf and maybe that's what you need. But we also have have a lot of MLS scarves. It is the holiday season, so if you've got a person in your life, you don't know what to get them, but they're a big MLS fan, they're a big national team fan, they're big into USL or the NCAA, maybe they just love their college, that scarf is probably available for sale in the Roughneck Roughneck store. And if it's not, you could always go the custom route and design a custom scarf uh, that you know that person in your life will genuinely love and enjoy, but they should genuinely love and enjoy all Roughneck scarves because they're all very quality, very solid, very good. And, best of all, you can 
get 20% off any scarf, any order in the shop, uh, aside from custom orders, any other orders. You can get 20% off with the promo code TOTALSOCCERSHOW. That's uh, Total Soccer Show, all one word, all together, over at Roughneck Scarves, uh, who have been a longtime sponsor of the Total Soccer Show. And for that, and many other things, we are very much appreciative, as we are to Sam Ty for taking all the time to make sense of the Champions League. So let's get back to him doing just that. So we moved to Group B then. Uh, Bayern Munich cruising through that one. Uh, 18 points of 18 possible points with a plus 19 goal difference. About what's expected from them in the Champions League. Uh, you got Tottenham in second with 10 points. Uh, Olympiacos third with four. And uh, Red Star, I believe it is, uh, in last place there. No Europa League for them. Uh, it is Red Star. They don't like being called Red Star. They you really don't. But, like, yeah, so go on. What's their name? Uh, I was actually going to ask you, but I'll do my best. I'm going to say uh, Sorvena Zvezda. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with that too. That sounds good. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea how to say that. Uh, uh, you know what? Always, that's, it's always. I think we can leave it there. That's enough Red Star conversation, but we can talk Bayern <laughs> instead. Uh, as I said, they cruised this group, uh, but they have had uh, significantly less consistent uh, success on the domestic level. So which Bayern do you think we're going to see next round? Is it the Bayern that have kind of put everything together or continue to put things together in the Champions League? Or might we see them slip up uh, earlier than we uh, normally see them eliminated? Well, they got eliminated in the round of 16 last year. They did draw Liverpool, yeah. uh, which was basically an, un, an unwinnable tie for them, as it proved to be for basically every team in the world. Uh, so, Bayern, this, is, this, is, this question is always a tough one, isn't it? Because we are currently in the middle of December, and it's oh, like two months. A hell of a lot can happen in two months. Mm-hmm. We don't even know for sure that who will be in charge of Bayern at that point because they, they they seem to want to take Hansi Flick for the rest of the season. But you never know what might happen over the course of the winter break if something comes up. Um, now, I'm not saying, oh, go back to Carlo Ancelotti because that one ended in tears. But you mm-hmm. never quite know what's going to happen and what shape this team takes. Because talent-wise, up front at least, they stack up with the very best. And obviously Lewandowski self-confessed addicted to scoring goals and has absolutely laid ruined to this this tournament over the course of the group stages it gives you that opportunity the thing with Bayern is they are quite fragile defensively I mean you and I sat together and watched them get torn apart by Frankfurt now admittedly that was because they were down to 10 men for a long period but you know the man that got sent off that day Jerome Bertang, he's he's having to play quite a lot of games here and they were trying to move on from him last summer for a reason he's basically not up to it anymore he's 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 kind of burnt out and physically he's pretty spent. Nicolas Sula's injury is a massive problem. Lucas Hernandez's injury is also a massive problem. I, I I don't think Bayern are good enough on the back end due to fitness due to fitness issues to really genuinely compete for the Champions League this year. As 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 many cracks as Lewandowski papers over, I think when they play genuine these very good teams mm-hmm. and very compact and tactically disciplined teams, they fall apart. And we've seen that happening in the Bundesliga a little bit uh, with, with some of the more well-organized and higher quality teams. They're actually struggling against them. And that's only going to be amplified, that issue, if they were to meet, again, a, 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 like a, a Napoli or an Atletico Madrid. Mm-hmm. Th- these, these are problematic draws. Like they, could get, they could get Real Madrid in, in, the, uh, in the round of 16. And if they draw Real Madrid, I'll predict Real Madrid to beat them. Uh, so you said they haven't really played against like like an organized, very disciplined, very well put together team quite yet. Obviously, that was the case when they played Tottenham twice in the Champions League. Uh, CJ Francis, <laughs> yes. uh, who's one of our listeners, uh, asked, in your opinion, do you think Spurs got lucky or did they truly earn their way out of the group? Uh, as a Spurs fan, CJ is hoping that it's the latter. Uh, what, lucky to qualify? Mm-hmm. 
I mean, they did what they had to do against the weaker sides, more yeah. or less. Uh, they obviously was, were completely second best to Bayern Munich, but um, the 7-2, you know, back under Pochettino was probably the lowest point, and that was one of the moments where you're like, oh, okay, this this isn't quite working. And you'd like to think, again, with two months of, of Mourinho under their belts, heading into the round of 16, again, depends on the draw, but they'll be a, a much better outfit. And even in their struggles... Just looking at scores, I mean, they put five past our Serbian friends one time and then four the next time. Uh, and then they put four past Olympiacos, albeit with a two-goal deficit mm-hmm. to fight back from. They did what they had to do. I would not say that they were lucky. Um, they're potentially lucky that they didn't get a group that involved, say, Shakhtar Donetsk and Dinamo Zagreb as the third and fourth team. Uh, because that would have proved a much stronger challenge. And then perhaps you might be saying if they got through, they might have had a bit of luck. But they did what they had to do. And you can only really beat what's in front of you in that regard. So I wouldn't say they were fortunate. We'll talk about those two teams you just mentioned uh, in just a moment. But I did want to ask you from a like podcast perspective, how pleased were you to have Jose Mourinho back in the Premier League just for the, the sheer content and the quotables and the moments that you know are going to be coming? Uh, well... It got off to a bad start because we record on Tuesdays and we've recorded a whole episode, a whole episode, everything top to tail finish. And we'd edited it and it was ready. It was set in our podcast platform and it was going to go out. And then at 7.30 or whatever it was, Pochettino was fired. And we were like, okay, didn't mention anything about that on the podcast. That's going to, that's going to be a bit weird. And then two hours later, it was clear that Jose Mourinho was taking the job and we were like, Okay, so it's the biggest story of potentially the year, and we're releasing a podcast tomorrow that makes absolutely zero mention of it. And you know what that meant? Yeah, I had to get up at seven in the morning, come into the office, and we re-recorded the entire first twenty minutes. So well, off fine. with that start because I had to do more work. <laughs> <laughs> However, it is nice to have him back, um, as long as he continues to to put up this very cheery front, because his 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 grumpy persona. It really grates on me. I'm very tired of it. He's he first arrived in England, uh, I think it was 2004 or so like that. So so it, 15 years of Jose Mourinho, and that is a long, long time. And it's enough to sort of develop your, a distaste for certain things. And when he gets grumpy, like I find him unbearable. Mm-hmm. There are some who absolutely love that, and it's true that the English media in general, the newspapers, they absolutely feed off a character like that and sound bites like his. I'm not in that position. I don't have to write headlines. So I actually, I actually dislike it when he turns into that person. Um, but for now, he's been quite cheery, quite smiley. He loves ball boys. He loves Son. You know, he's ticking all the boxes. So it's fine for now. Yeah, I never thought that that would be the, the new manager approach. Is Mourinho incorporates ball boys into his strategy? Duncan Ferguson is hugging ball boys on the sidelines. That seems to be the way to immediately engender goodwill. It does, yeah. It, it steps away from the Eden Hazard approach of fighting ball boys back in about two thousand and uh, back in about two thousand thirteen. So I'm glad we've that. moved on from that kind of yeah. violence, and we're now embracing the parts of the game that matter. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, let's move on to Group C then. Uh, this always felt like it was going to be Man City and then whomever else. Uh, that's basically the way it played out. Man City uh, on top of this one with fourteen points, but it's Atalanta in second with seven. Uh, how much of them have you been able to see so far, and were you surprised they made it out? So I did. I did predict them to come second in the group. There we uh, are ahead of me. But they lost their first three games, so this was looking really, really rough. And I'll be honest: at, from that point, everyone is expecting them to drop like a stone and drop out of the tournament. So I'm not surprised to see them go through overall. But heading into match day four, obviously, this now counts as a huge surprise. Um, they don't really play any differently in the Champions League to how they have done 
in the league for the last two or three years under their manager Gasparini, who is an extremely open attacking coach. Um, Atalanta throw bodies forward like crazy. Their attacking trio of Ilicic and Duvan Zapata and the amazing Alejandro Gomez is so good to watch. They're so fluid, so attacking. Um, they'll probably lose their round of 16 game because they're arguably a little bit naive in that sense. They won't tone it down, I don't think, uh, when playing against one of the best. They never do in Serie A, so I don't see why they would here. And they didn't against Manchester City. But what I would recommend is that you tune in for the Atalanta game, whichever one it is, because they are footballing fun. They, they are absolutely great. And you can always you can always get a hint of, uh, of how attacking and how gung-ho a team is by how involved their wing-backs and full-backs are in goals. And yeah, Timothy Castagna... Hans Hatterboer, these guys that play wing-back for Atalanta, are constantly in the opposition box, which makes it a lot of fun. Robin Gosens as well, of course. Sorry, just looking at the list to see. I knew I'd forgotten one. They're constantly in the opposing box and so much fun to watch. Again, probably won't go too much further, but um, nice to see that kind of refreshing take on, uh, on, on Champions League football. In fact, it was a group full of attacking teams because Shakhtar don't really pull any punches and Dinamo Zagreb knew that the only way they were going to get anywhere was to try and attack as well. So, Unlike some of the teams that come in as fourth seeds and just kind of shut up shop a little bit, they really did give it a go. And I'm I'm very pleased that they got through just because we've seen Shakhtar in the round of 16 in the quarterfinals a fair few times over the last five years or so. And uh, it's not fair to say, oh, I'm bored of them. I want something mm-hmm. new. But Atalanta are that fresh product that you can really get behind and fall in love with. And you'll probably see a player playing for them that you're like, oh, I think I'd like him to play for my team, actually. There's always one of those for whoever is watching. Who who would be that player you think right now if somebody were signing an Atalanta player? Uh, of course, it will always depend on who you are and what, and what your needs are. Um, but I think the right back, Hans Hatterboer, is really, really good. Um, really, really, really good attacking runs. Times his runs into the box really well and he's up and down like crazy. Um Pasalic as well, who used to play for Chelsea, um, was on loan from Chelsea for a while. He's done his fair share of loans. He's a really tidy midfield footballer and at 24 years of age and with a hell of a lot of experience in Serie A and the Champions League, like you could do a lot worse than look for that. Even if you were someone like Arsenal, for example, mm-hmm. they, could, they, could, they could use a Mario Pasalic, to be honest with you. The thing working against the forwards, so Ilicic, Gomez and Duvan Zapata, is they're 31, 31 and 28 um, between them. Uh, so a lot of teams may look at that and think, ah, I don't think so. But Duvan Zapata is a really late bloomer. Like he's always had potential, but he didn't really, he didn't really get any good until he was about 26. So there might be a lot more tread on those tires than maybe his age suggests. But we're still not thinking they go particularly far in the competition. We're assuming Man City go a bit further. With the way mm. things are going in the Premier League for them, do you think there's a chance that Pep starts prioritizing the Champions League and almost sort of game plans out more of the Champions League fixtures than the Premier League ones? I don't think he has a choice um, because the Premier League ship has sailed, doesn't it? He has 14 Mm -hmm. points back, man. It's just ridiculous. Um, The collapse has been remarkable to watch. Um, I genuinely thought um, that Man City would win the league this year by a more comfortable margin. So to see them 14 points back in December is a bit of a gut punch. Um, Although, obviously, there are things you can't see coming, like Leroy Sané tearing his ACL. I'm Rick Laporte being ruled out for half a season. These these things happen and you can't control that. But the flatness to their play in the league has been really concerning. I will say that they have they have judged it up a bit in, in the Champions League. It's almost as if they're feeling they're feeling the pressure in the league matches and then the Champions League comes round and it's, you know, classic cup game and the shackles come off. Um 
So I, I do think he has to prioritise. I think he will. Obviously, that doesn't start for a, a couple of months because they'll probably play 10 games between now and their round of 16 games. So you don't start doing that right now. But, you know, once the three games a week kicks in, I would not be surprised to see Phil Foden starting two Premier League games in eight days and uh, the big boys playing the midweek game because he'll know like he'll know that this this is a more reasonable trophy to win or it's, it's more reasonable to expect to win this trophy than the Premier League. Uh, this this gap this gap isn't gonna it's not they're not gonna cut it by mm. eight points over the next month or so. They're not gonna be in a significantly better position, I don't think. All right, well then let's uh, move to another big boy, at least when it comes to the Champions League. In Group D, uh, Juventus finishing top. No real surprises there. Uh, 16 points from uh, six games. A decent result. Uh, Atleti comes second with 10 points. Uh, Leverkusen to the Europa League with six. Lokomotiv in last place with three points. Atleti have been attempting to change their style of a bit this season, or at least that was the plan heading into the season. Uh, that may explain why they're sort of not near the top of the table in Spain the way they normally are. Uh, what have you made of them in the Champions League, and do you think they are trying to change it up and how is that going if so so weirdly enough when you're trying to keep track of all of these all of these teams and, and these match days which are absolutely insane you know eight eight matches um per day uh, and you're trying to catch it all atletico were the, basically the team that i sort of i failed to catch uh, most of the time there's always one that you're like mm-hmm. ah, i didn't really see them play and it turns out it's atletico um in la liga they've really struggled to score goals really struggled and part of that is because Jal Felix missed a month and month and a half or so due to injury and they were looking to try and remodel and rebuild around him obviously that hit that hit the ropes a little bit um Diego Costa looks ooh, I think he's done, he's done this before and I'm reluctant to say it because he's been finished once and he came back but he looks he looks like he's on his last legs and Morata is a player who is mentally quite weak and he's really difficult to trust to carry the load because you never really know what mind frame or mindset he's going to be in he's even admitted himself like he has he has confidence issues and he struggles to motivate himself and he feels emasculated sometimes in training and he's very sensitive it's a very strange thing set of things to be saying about a, a player that people keep paying 60 million pounds for to play up front because they're supposed to be the most you know uh confident of the lot they're supposed to be very very uh, strong-minded and strong-willed because you, you kind of have to be. You have to be Mauro Icardi levels of confident in front of goal, not Alvaro Morata style. So with Felix dropping out with injury and you're, you're really trying to carry the load through Costa and Morata, well, I guess it doesn't surprise that they haven't quite blown us away. But we've seen we've seen better performance in other areas, at least. Like they've got, like Thomas Partey is looking great. He looks absolutely amazing nowadays. What a what a coaching job Diego Simeone's done on him, and uh, and Kieran Trippier, who on our podcast we nicknamed the World Cup Catfish, because he was amazing for England for seven games and then rubbish for an entire season for Tottenham. And uh, he he's been excellent. He's been excellent um, for 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 Atletico Madrid, which is which is great to see. Obviously, as an Englishman, I'll, I'll support him and hope he does well. Um, but taking all that into account, yeah. They fell, they, they fell by the wayside of Juventus, maybe not so much of a surprise. I really thought they would be better. Um, but the good news for them is, I think we can all probably, you'll probably agree with me on this one, they're, go, they're going to get better as the season wears mm-hmm. on. Yep. I think they will, fi- they will find their feet. Like The early struggles aren't that much of a problem. Um, and I think they will only get better from here. And it depends when they time their peak. Like If in two months' time they figured it out we're, we're looking at a potential dark horse for the champions league but it just depends on when that moment comes and i don't know when it will be 
So I agree with you that uh, Atleti will continue to get better as the season goes. I am less confident about that when it comes to Napoli, uh, who finished second in Group E behind Liverpool. Uh, they make it out of the group despite sacking Carlo Ancelotti. Uh, they win their final group stage game against uh, Genk, and then he's let go. Uh, how did things go so wrong for him at Napoli, and where would you like to see him pop up next? So this is weird. Uh, this is just weird. I mean, I remember looking a couple of weeks ago, writing an article for BR, which is the, the, the disappointing teams, where it's gone wrong and how to fix them. I basically listed Napoli in there as a disappointing team and totally dodged the issue of how to fix them because I don't know how to solve internal politics and yeah. infighting between your president and your players. Like, 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 it's not really my place to say. Oh, no? They, 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 no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so seemingly... <laughs> Aurelio De Laurentiis wasn't very happy with performance levels, De Laurentiis being the Napoli chairman or owner. And um, he tried to organise like a boot camp for the players to go on to improve their levels. And they all basically just said, nah, don't fancy that. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I've seen that. Have you seen that clip? That clip is very damning. The one where they like start to break on a counterattack and none of their players move forward. They all just kind of casually jog slash walk. That was a yeah. telling moment, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think De Laurentiis, was, there was a report that De Laurentiis was going to try and fine his players up to a total of 1.5 million euros in salary because of the performances over the last month or so. It, like, it's just an absolute mess. So when this happens, obviously things break down from the inside. Napoli got through uh, the final game against Genk really easily, 4-0, obviously, that game, uh, Genka playing a 17-year-old goalkeeper and he, and he commits an absolute howler in the opening three minutes. And it doesn't really matter if you hate your chairman or not, you're going to win that game because Genk fell apart. And uh, the thing with Carlo Ancelotti is that he's so relaxed and so reserved. Uh, his persona doesn't really suit a team that actually isn't functioning very well. The, the belief at the moment, based on his last few jobs, is that Carlo actually needs to be working with a series of stars. Mm-hmm. And if he's not walking into a reasonably ready-made scenario in which he may only need one or two pieces to put in, he's probably not the right man for the job. And he also maybe have been a little bit unlucky in that the last two jobs that he's taken, he has followed Pep Guardiola at Bayern Munich, and then he's followed Maurizio Sarri at mm-hmm. Napoli. Now, these are two really high-intensity and tactically attuned coaches. And Carlo is the complete opposite. So initially... There's a spike because, you know, any way of thinking that's different is going to produce something extra. It's going to produce something different. A fresh way of thinking and a fresh way of methodizing is going to change the way a team plays. But long term, I don't think his strategy or the way he approaches things actually works out very well, particularly if the team isn't essentially perfect. Now, it's a shame we're saying this because like, he is one of the greatest Champions League coaches of all time. And he was in charge of Real Madrid when they won it in 2014. And he's been in charge of Milan when they've won it. So the way I've described the man, actually, he sounds like a massive disservice. And it sounds like he's achieved nothing. He he really has. But there are some fresh questions heading into 2020 about what actually suits him. And there's a lot of talk in England right now about, oh, Arsenal, go and get Carlo. Oh, Everton, go and get Carlo. And I'm thinking, I don't think that's right. There's, There's too much to be done there for him to actually walk in and succeed. 
Hey everybody, Taylor jumping in one more time. If you happen to be listening to this episode but also realizing simultaneously that you are not yet done with your holiday shopping or you still have gifts to buy for that person in your life who's all about some soccer or all about some style, then today's sponsor might be able to help you out. It's our friends over at Talisman Caps. They are purveyors of high-end, quality-made caps and gear to help you support the club or clubs that you love. Talisman are obviously the creators, designers of uh, some very wonderful five and six panel hats. We've talked about them in the past, but they have new offerings as well, including uh, a new line of beanies that are 100% acrylic. They've got a cockerel one for Spurs fans. They've got a Red Devil one for Man United, a Liverbird for folks who are excited to win the league, and a USA 1994 version of a beanie uh, for people who are excited to remember a time when the USMNT was fun, or maybe just specifically remember 1994. That could also be the case. Uh, there are new hoodies uh, with many of those same logos I just described. There are some new caps, including the Jorge Campos khaki hat. That one is great. Uh, the L Tree five panel one is also excellent. Uh, if you are a fan of L-Tree. If not, then again, see the 1994 hat. That might be the way to go. Uh, but if you want something maybe smaller in terms of either price or size, they've got both. Uh, they have talisman-branded wallets. There are prints inspired by some of their most iconic designs. But then they've got pins, wine glasses, coffee mugs. They've even got coasters and beer glasses. Everything a person might need to finish out, to round out their holiday shopping, is available at Talisman Caps. Uh, and you can get 10% off a minimum purchase of $35 by using the promo code TOTALSOCCER10. That's TOTALSOCCER10 all together, all in caps. Uh, a link to that will be in today's show notes to make your life slightly easier. But once again, go to talismancaps.com and the promo code is TOTALSOCCER10 to get 10% off a minimum purchase of $35. Thank you very much to our friends at Talisman Caps for making shopping easier, making the holiday season slightly less stressful, and for sponsoring today's episode. Now back one more time to Mr. Sam Tai. Um, you mentioned that he's one of the greatest uh, Champions League managers of all time. I'm assuming you you include Jesse Marsh on that list, obviously. Uh, I, I have I have a, maybe a slight bias there due to my Americanness. Uh, for you uh, watching Salzburg or watching Jesse Marsh, what did you make of that team? What did you make of him, or have you made of him as a manager, or has has he not had that much of an impact for you? Um, I would say that I'm sort of marginally overexposed to, to Jesse Marsh as an Englishman, because I work for an American company in BR. That checks out. That makes we, sense. And, and we hold the, uh, we hold the champions league, right? So I, I'm, I'm sat with the programming team who are, who are pushing, pushing things into the app so that people that use the app can, can obviously divulge the content. We've got the social team all trying to work out what works for our audience and what doesn't. And Jesse Marsh obviously ticks, ticks a lot of boxes because he's American um, and he's worth celebrating because he's done a very good job. I would say for the most part in England, I reckon if you asked, Asked 100 people who coaches Red Bull Salzburg, I reckon 92 of them would not be able to tell you the answer. Yeah. So he hasn't quite made the ways that, uh, that, that you guys are obviously celebrating him for. But as someone that covers the game, I can't help but be impressed by him. Um, this is the first I've really ever seen of him because I didn't, I didn't tune into any of his previous work. This is uh, the sum total of my knowledge of Jesse Marsh is, is this six months with Salzburg. It's been exciting. It's been frenetic. It's been great. That halftime video was fun to watch. Mm -hmm. The performances have been excellent. The form that he's extracted from some of these players like Minamino and Haaland, uh, really, really strong. So extremely good positive signs. Uh, not willing to crown him one of the greatest Champions League coaches of all time like you are, though, just yet. All right. So just like like close to second one best. of the greatest. Okay, second, second best. best. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, what was the percentage you said of English people who don't know him? 92? I reckon, I reckon 92% of people right. would not be able to name the Salzburg coach. What percentage of people would know that RB Salzburg exists in England? 
Uh, uh, oh, every Liverpool fan. Okay. There you are. Because they've just played them twice and uh, given them a really good game two, two times in a row. Uh, Salzburg have got, the, you know, the levels of admiration for Salzburg have risen 4 million percent in the Liverpool area over the last two weeks or so. Um, yeah, I think people would be aware of an Austrian club called Salzburg or something. So, yeah, <laughs> in, 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 a, in, in a way, Jesse Marsh is on a hiding of nothing there because if you're not even fully aware of the team, then how are you going to name the coach? But, yeah. Um, well, I've, I've got another one for you uh, in Group F. I'm not familiar. It, it, they're called Barcelona, I think. I'm not sure if you've heard much about them, but they topped their group. Uh, obviously, that's a massive surprise for such an unheralded team. No, it's Barcelona <laughs> winning. That's kind of what they do. Like, no, but what head of a group, man? Like that was yeah. that was such a bad group because Slavia Prague. I know they finished on two points, but of all of the sort of bottom feeder clubs or like the, the kind of perceived whipping boys Slavia are a decent outfit and they proved they proved very difficult to crack for Barcelona and for others so to come out of that group from Dortmund and Inter and Slavia Prague that is like that is a they've done really well yeah and no no losses either uh Dortmund definitely doing well uh with the win on the last day they jump uh Inter uh Inter now into the Europa League uh with Dortmund kind of securing that second spot what do you think it means for Antonio Conte and Inter for the remainder of their season? Do they need to win Serie A for it to be successful with him kind of taking over this season? Is it just sort of like we're seeing the signs and then next year is the one where he'll really be expected to perform? I think he's going to sack the Europa League off without a second thought and focus on the league. I yep. don't think he's going to give one care in the world about Thursday nights and he's going to go all out and try and take advantage of the fact that Juve are going to, are going to, to, to make a, a run and for their hopes a deep run into this competition play one game a week and, and zero in on this title and you know, Conte has a very good history of winning the title in his first season at a club he did it with Juve he did it with Chelsea and the, you know, the Juve won fine you expect that the Chelsea won at the time I mean, they, they ran away with that Premier League title. They were by far the best team in the league that year. And uh, it, at, at the time of his appointment, it really didn't feel like that would be possible. The beauty of it is that Conte, he simplifies the game really easily for his players. He, he tells them exactly what he wants them to do and doesn't try to overcomplicate the instructions. They all appreciate it. And it works really, really well initially. So he gets that boost. And if you only give Conte one game a week, he's probably going to win the title. Like th th this has happened many times before and it will happen again. So this is probably good news for Inter Serie A title ambitions. Although obviously you never want to see your team drop out of the Champions League in such a way. I actually watched the the Tuesday night games in the pub um, or the bar, as you call it. And uh, I sat next I, to a I could of translate that one, but I appreciate okay. it. Thank you. <laughs> sat next to a couple of Inter Milan fans, actually, uh, for the last 10 minutes of the Inter Barca game. And they were, they were a little bit sad. But they just gave it a big sign and went, all right, well, we'll have to win the title then. You know, that's, that's, that's kind of where they are. Like, club priority-wise, couldn't be clearer. League. So, obviously, don't mess it up from here because you, you, you don't really have a choice. Um, but Conte has famously not done very well in Europe anyway. So, I think people were stealing themselves for this regardless. And then of the usual Champions League favorites, the like traditionally stronger teams, Barcelona, Juve, Bayern, I'll throw Liverpool in there as the reigning champions and also a very good team who won their group. Would you say it's Liverpool, Barcelona, currently the strongest right now? Um, yeah, I think, I think it's mad to look past Liverpool. Um, they certainly seem to be the most fine-tuned and complete team. Um, Juventus have got a lot to figure out ahead of February. They have only lost one game, so that sounds really stupid, but 
the transition into Sari Ball uh, has taken a very familiar plateau. It, it always produces a very good start and then it, it plateaus for a bit. And it's when you come out of that second spell into the third bit, which is we now dominate every game and win every game. It's when that happens. I don't know. So they need to time their peak correctly. But I wouldn't be comfortable saying that Juve are an absolute front runner for the Champions League right now. I would, get, I would say Liverpool and Barcelona are fair shouts. I would discount Bayern because of the defensive issues. And I would say that City and PSG sit in a little bracket below Liverpool and Barca. Two more groups to go. I, I don't want to take up too much of your time, especially since I think you have 14 other media appearances today and things to do. Uh, group G, uh, Leipzig on top, Lyon in second, Benfica third, Zenit fourth. For Leipzig, that's I think they're another one. Like Obviously, they have the connection to Salzburg, so maybe that's why I'm equating them. But they're another team that I feel like a lot of people are going to look at and think like they're not one of those historical powers. That's maybe the team that you want if you're a second-place uh, finisher. Are they that sort of squad that maybe you do want to go up against that they're not quite ready for the Champions League right now? Or should they be uh, a team that people are a bit more wary of? It's a it's a tough one because, <laughs> again, I don't want to keep going on about it. But I remember, remember, we were sat together in the Frankfurt Stadium, and they had that that bell that kept going off. Oh God, for, I forgot about that <laughs> for the goals that were happening around the league. So for for context, um, in it doesn't matter what game you're in if we were sat in the Frankfurt Stadium and a bell kept going off yep. we couldn't figure out what it was and what it was was there was, there is a goal in any kind of game in the Bundesliga and the bell just kept going kept going it was like a city evacuation in Game of Thrones it just kept going <laughs> and we were looking up and it was like Leipzig 1-0 2-0 3-0 4-0 so 5-0 it went to 8 didn't it it, it got to 8 for and we were like oh my god stop he's already dead so it was one of those it was a and weird day in the Bundesliga that day it really was, yeah. And Leipzig have done that a couple of times since. Not quite 8-0, but they have battered a few more teams. And that's the thing. like When they turn it on and when it works for them, they're basically unstoppable. And they are the kind of team who play extremely well into space and on the counter-attack. So, yep, they work well as a dominant team, but they work arguably even better when they're allowed to be reactive. So I don't think I could in good conscience say that's a decent draw for anybody because they're like the epitome of the banana skin where you look at them and go, ah, Timo Werner and a bunch of whatever but it's not that at all they're so they're so well coached under Nagelsmann they're so dangerous when the when the conditions are right um I think that's a horrible draw for anybody and it's not it's not a surprise that they've won the group I guess given that Leon started so flat I thought Leon would be a lot better um but their their decision to hire Silvino as a rookie manager backfired massively and they were really really poor to start with they have bucked up they needed a very late show from uh, Memphis Depay and Husam Alwa to get through this one. And they snuck through in second. But Benfica and Zenit aren't very good. So it's not it's not the greatest group which, which people will point to and say, ah, Leipzig only 11 points in a not-so-strong group. But I would hate, I would honestly hate to meet them uh, on a night where things go right for them because they could rip the lid off most of the teams in this tournament if, if the conditions are correct. So Leipzig uh, topping their group. They could potentially meet uh, Chelsea, who finished second in theirs, uh, the final group, Group H. Uh, Chelsea second on, I believe, goal difference, or maybe head-to-head -to, -head, uh, to Valencia. Um, with, with Chelsea in second place, uh, Dwight Coward, I'm assuming that's not his real name, but his Twitter uh, handle, uh, he pointed out Chelsea's possible opponents in the knockout round are PSG, Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Juventus, and RB Leipzig. Some decent opposition. Um, who do you think Christian Pulisic... Uh, wants to see, or who do you want to see him play against most? Again, we're an American podcast. You better buckle up for some ballistic questions. <laughs> well, so which uh, which top seed, basically, or yeah. which first place finish is, is the best one? Um, 
or the best one for him to go against maybe yeah yeah i think um again owing to these defensive frailties this this sounds mad because of Lewandowski, but owing to the defensive frailties and the um the way in which chelsea played very high very high energy uh very high press aggressive press led by tammy abraham superbly supported by mount and pulisic and william and pedro if he's allowed to play sometimes um I think that they would be able to cause Bayern Munich quite a lot of problems in their own third and actually produce quite a few chances that they could stick away. Again, it does need to it does need to go for them on the night because Chelsea have felt a little bit boom or bust recently. And that is that is the nature of the beast when you play a, a series of children um, <laughs> and N'Golo Kante together on a pitch. And sometimes it goes well and sometimes it doesn't. The inconsistencies are, you know, that they, that's what happens when you play a, a, a younger side. But I would say that of all those teams, I would say that Bayern Munich are the best draw for, for them. Uh, again, it feels weird to say, but I think PSG would beat them. And I, I think I'm Barca, just... Barca, I mean, Barca, Juve, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, it's Bayern. I, I'm just loving a series of children in N'Golo Kante. That is a perfect description. <laughs> One of those children, obviously, is Christian Pulisic. Uh, John Salazar asked, uh, how do you, Sam, rate Pulisic's performance in the Champions League overall so far? Um... Oh, I, st- I know what I sometimes struggle to differentiate between like Premier League and Champions League just in my memory. So I say I, I take I adapt the question slightly and say in England mm-hmm. um, or, or since moving over uh, a little bit of a slow start, which I believe you guys weren't happy about. Um, as in, he didn't you mean play we, much. we we as a country? You mean? Yeah, you yeah. as a country. He didn't play much, did he? That is accurate. And you, and you as a country uh, lost your collective. Also that uh, for about a month, uh, and then he started playing again, and you guys have calmed down since, which is really nice. Um, <laughs> he is. Uh, he is. Um, it's all we have, Sam. <laughs> he's been he's been excellent for for two months, like excellent. Um, he's probably been more productive in front of goal than a lot of people thought he would be. I think it was quite easy to look at his statistics at Dortmund, and almost dismiss him in a way because as good as he was at times and as effective as he was the goals and assist columns never looked that strong for him and so a lot of people looked at that and thought ah nah we've just paid 60 odd million for a winger who's you know scored three goals this season or something like that and that's a bit too simplistic because Pulisic's sort of mazy dribbling and ability to get between the lines and then take it on beat a player and then open up quite a lot more for other people is something that doesn't necessarily show up on those stat sheets, but has really worked for Chelsea and for Lampard. He's put the effort in. Off the ball, he works really, really hard. Not a surprise, again, because of his, his upbringing with Dortmund. And he's starting to he's starting to find his feet in front of goal. His confidence is growing. He has been excellent for two months. And I'm glad that the slow start has been put in the rearview mirror and, and, it, and, and it's a non-issue. And I'm, I'm glad that, that Lampard is, is, is putting his faith in him and, play, and played him into form ahead of someone like Pedro, who's in the last six months of his deal. And, you know, if you're going to prioritise one or the other, you've got you've to go for Pudisic. Right. I, think he's been, I think he's been very good. So I'm just writing down the short note. Best uh, Champions League player of all time. Is that what we have down? Uh, second best. Okay, second best. Excuse me. Of course, of course. That's the trend. Uh, no more Pulisic questions, but one more listener question for you from Donald Norman. With Ajax sadly out, they finished third. Uh, who is most likely to crash the semifinals or, if not the semifinals, which maybe slightly less heralded team could you see making a deep run in the Champions League? Uh, yes, I love this question. Um, I answered this question before the group stage because I had to pick one and I picked Leon. And look, I'm not... That's that that was I'm lucky that Leon have managed to make it through to the round of 16 because as I said they were really poor to start with and they've really squeezed through. They're 
doesn't really seem to be a really obvious unheralded candidate to do an Ajax. So I think the I think the answer is Chelsea. Hmm. Interesting. Because because they're they're the team that have essentially finished second and people will look at and go, well yeah, but you know, they've hit their ceiling here, like they'll get to the round of sixteen and they'll get and they'll get beaten. Now they're that could well be the case because quality wise, they really do not stack up to a lot of these teams. Um and I think Leipzig, I'm almost I'm almost discounting Leipzig from the conversation because they finished top of their group and they keep beating teams eight nil and they've got sixty million pound forwards. So I'm kind of kind of almost taking them out of this conversation and I land on Chelsea because their approach to games, it is a little bit helter skelter and it is a little bit up and down. But again, like these 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 players are stepping it up when they need to. And the high pressing approach is working. And I think I think if I was to nominate a team that could shock us all and go far. I think Chelsea, they do have the material for it. All right. Uh, I don't, I, I want to apologize to all the other Champions League teams. We're not really going to get to discuss uh, in depth because we do have time constraints, but uh, maybe we can have Sam back on uh, as we get closer to the knockout round to sort of preview those fixtures and his expectations. But my final question for you is another listener question or a Twitter question, I should say, from at Bearded Jack. Of the teams that are out, which do you think are most likely to win the Europa League or go deep into the Europa League? So you're, ah, to, as, yeah. I'll give you a moment to think about it unless you already have an no, answer. No, no, it's fine. All right, go Ajax. ahead. It's Ajax. It is Ajax. I, I, can't, I can't believe they're out. I can't believe they're out. Yeah. So I have to believe that they can, they can pull it round and they can win the Europa League and go one better than they did a few years ago uh, against Man United in the final. Um, the, so you've got, um, you've got the absolute wild card that is Bayer Leverkusen dropping mm-hmm. in. And I'm not I'm not ready to, to put my faith in them. Ajax is a really strong one. And Salzburg, obviously, are, are a team that people are going to be looking at and thinking, hey, guys, these, these guys could be the ones. I'm discounting Inter because I don't think they care and I don't think they'll feel the team that justifies uh, any belief in them. Um, and, of course, already in the Europa League, you've got the likes of, of Manchester United um, and Arsenal, who are still actually, if you look at the odds in England, you know, United and Arsenal were like in the top three in terms of odds for winning it and Ajax are down in like fifth and Salzburg are down in like seventh Mm. and you know if you ask me Ajax and Salzburg are going to take it more seriously and are probably better equipped right now um, to win this tournament than the English clubs but I'll go with Ajax it's a firm Ajax answer for me so would you would you basically just say like you're guaranteeing that there will be an American somehow involved in the Europa League final be it Serginho Dest or Jesse Marsh that's what I'm saying. All right, that's right. I'm, gl- I'm, glad, I'm glad we've made this into a Sam Loves America show. I don't know how that possibly happened. It wasn't at all me. Uh, Sam, uh, I don't want to take up any more of your time, but I did want to uh, ask you how could people uh, hear more from you, find more from you, uh, because as I said, you are busy. You're all over the place, but you are doing lots of good content, so people should uh, give it a listen. Yeah, it makes me laughing. So I've got 14 more media appearances, but actually on the agenda for this evening is go and play football. Oh, lovely. But, uh, yeah, go and play football. And uh, I am on the BR Football Ranks podcast, so you can check in on uh, check in on that every Wednesday. We drop weekly. Uh, we, we don't put the effort that you guys do in, honestly. Don't know how you do it. Respect the grind. We just go once a week and then we take six days off. But it is a good podcast. Award nominated, uh, as we've said, although we won't be winning the award. Um, and I'm on, I'm on Twitter, which is S-Tie Football, which is T-I-G-H-E. I'm on Instagram as BR Samtai as well. I'm sure, like, I'm sure you'll see it because... You'll be retweeting all of my great content, and then people will see it, so it's fine. There we are. And I'll be tagging you, of course, uh, when this show goes live. Uh, we yep. were nominated for a local award, I think, our second year when we were still on the radio in Richmond. Uh, we did not win. I think we got third. Uh, so we refer to ourselves as the almost award-winning. Uh, you are more than welcome to take that title if you so choose. Okay. I'm actually – what I want to do 
I'm really hoping that we win like best new podcast or something. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even know if that's an award. I might make it, nominate myself, and <laughs> I then hand myself the trophy. But I do feel it's a bit unfair that I have to go up against. Um, we have to go up against Guardian Football Weekly, running eleven years and all that. But if there's a best new podcast, may, maybe we'll get that. I don't know. Yeah, you, you're the Leipzig in this situation. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I think they also were only allotted two tickets, so there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but Sam, but Sam uh, good luck in, in the football tonight, and uh, thank you very much for taking all the time to make sense of the Champions League. Oh, pleasure, mate. Thank you.